Our reading tonight's from Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 25. Do not worry. So if you've got it on your phone, look it up. Matthew 6. Therefore, I tell you, said Jesus, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you, that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans ran after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will give, be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, good afternoon. And uh, if you're watching tonight, good evening as well. Uh, it's really great to see you. My uh, email inbox has been filling up with what can only be described as holiday porn. So it's airbrushed uh, photos of foreign destinations trying to uh, tempt me to a place where the sun is high and the COVID testing is easy. And, uh, and uh, the, you know, they're great to look at and to wonder if something might be possible uh, in the future. But uh, it also put me in mind of uh, holidays that I have had. And I remember when, uh, uh, some years ago, when Joe and I went to southern Spain to a village, and uh, our son was very young then, uh, sitting in the back of the car, and we were driving very late at night. It was very dark. And we were trying to find this place, and we were using um, uh, paper maps. Uh, some of you are old enough to remember those things. Uh, and uh, and trying, to, trying to, you know shine a torch on them and find out where you're going. And we knew we had to get to quite a big bridge that went over a particular um, uh, gorge or something like that. Anyway, uh, and we got, to the, we got to the bridge. And as, as we got up onto the bridge, there just seemed to be quite a lot of things on the road. And we were looking at it thinking, this is a bit weird. And there's nobody else around at all. And it's very dark. And eventually we stopped. And I got out and we had a look. And, and actually what was the case was that the bridge hadn't been built, and we were looking over an abyss into the darkness. And so we reversed very carefully and then looked at the map again and tried to find what turned out to be a very long way round. And so I really love these days 
Google Maps, which uh, automatically reassigns and resets your route uh, if there's traffic or unbuilt bridges or cul-de-sacs or something like that in the way. And, um, it, uh, and Google Maps aligns with what is actually there. And uh, what we're thinking about during these last few weeks is realigning our lives with the reality of God, that Jesus is our destination, and we, uh, we're coming out of a pandemic, and we're wanting to uh, recalibrate, realign, reset ourselves. Um, and if we've got stuck with the Lord on an unfinished bridge or in a cul-de-sac or somewhere like that or in heavy traffic, it's time to turn around and reset our journey with God. And so if you were here a couple of weeks ago, I used a slightly different metaphor, uh, not a metaphor of a map, but a bone. And healing a bone that's broken only works if it's held in true alignment, in a splint or a cast. And if a bone has started to fuse together and set awkwardly, a doctor may well re-break it in order to set it right so that you will walk properly and you'll walk with proper freedom. And, and you may have had this. You might have had a bone break, and, and the doctor has said to you, oh, we're going to have to break your bone again in order to set it right. And you, thought, you might have thought at that point that they were rather cruelly joking. But it is the right thing to do. And Jesus in his teaching is so often realigning a map or resetting a bone um, to set things right. In fact, in his teaching, he, he reset almost everything. So if you know anything about Jesus and you've read a little bit of the Gospels, you'll know that he reset the law. Oftentimes he was referring to the law and he'd say, you have heard it said this, but I say, break, I say this. So you may have heard it said, do not kill, but I say, do not have contempt in your heart, for instance. He reset the idea of family. We were thinking about that this week, uh, whereby uh, in the Old Testament, you were very blessed uh, the primary blessing was around biological family and descendants. But when Jesus' Jesus's family uh, were, were sort of brought to him at one point, and they said, your family is here, he said, who is my family? Those who do the will of my Father in heaven are my brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers and so on. And he resets the idea of what family is, that family is now a spiritual family, primarily. Biological family is important, but spiritual family is crucial. He also reset how you get forgiven. So again, if you know anything of the Old Testament, the first part of the Scriptures, uh, there's immense amounts of detail about how you get forgiven through the sacrifice of animals and birds and so on. And Jesus comes along and he says, I'm going to reset the whole thing. I'm going, uh, I am going to be the one and only true sacrifice. So he breaks the system in order to reset it right upon himself. And I just think that we, in this time now, coming out of a pandemic, and we pray not going into one again, but, you know, we shall see, and we'll see what happens. But right now, we're looking back on 14 months that have probably been the most extraordinary 14 months of our lives. And it is a really crucial point, I think, of breaking and resetting, making sure that we are set true with God, that our map is uh, moving us towards the right destination that we're avoiding obstacles and pitfalls. And people are thinking about resetting coming out of the pandemic in all different kinds of ways. We're thinking about God today, but we've been praying for our cities today, for, for uh, Exeter in particular. And, uh, you know, you can read writers who are in, in uh, the papers and stuff who are talking about 
resetting cities so that they work in the future post-pandemic. One writer, Simon Cooper, he was talking about that the office is going to change because uh, it's not going to disappear, but it will shrink and people will want to commute in much less in the future. The neighborhoods will become different. That working from home will become much more common. And the sort of the division in cities between uh, business districts and residential districts will be much more blurred. And the jargon is that everywhere will have a 15-minute city so that you can get anywhere that you need within 15 minutes. There's going to be differences around mobility, getting around a city. Uh, you can see electric bikes are uh, making a real uh, inroads, and there'll be fewer cars and fewer car parking, possibly, because we won't need to. We want to use the space for other things in the future, maybe. The high street, as we prayed, may well change, and uh, there'll be fewer shops, more restaurants, more cafes, uh, and um, and bars. And you know, if you buy a home, that will also uh, probably change because you'll want a home where you can set up your workspace, a place where you're not just working from your bedroom and, uh, and trying to connect with, your, uh, with other people in your, uh, in your company. And maybe there'll be more uh, communal garden schemes and all that sort of thing. So writers are thinking about these things and, pe- and planners and people are looking at how our cities might well work better because of things that we have learned through the pandemic, things that are going to be broken and reset in different ways. And it's important for us to reset with God. If we're not aligned, some things may need breaking. And, and again, as Rosie prayed, we have been thinking about, you must be born again, or love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. The loving God with all that you are is what you're made for. So it's important to break off any idolatries that you have got, uh, that have started to inhabit your life. And the, the third reset uh, in terms of the Lord I want to say, talk about just for a few moments is about seeking first God's kingdom, which Jesus talked about in that passage that Ian read to us. Seeking first God's kingdom, talking about what your goal is in life, your organizing principle, your overarching priority, for instance, and why that might be the case. So if you still have your phones on or your... Uh, paper Bibles or whatever it might be, do have a look at Mark 6, 25 onwards because I'm going to refer to that in particular and, uh, and take a, a look at it for a few moments. So Jesus starts, as he quite often does, with an impossible command, something that's impossible to do without the power of the Spirit to help us. Say again. I think you're right. It's Matthew 6. And my, I, I stand corrected by my wonderful wife. Do you know, I even wrote Mark 6 down here. Okay, Matthew 6, 25 onwards. Thanks, hon. Um, Jesus starts with an impossible command, as he sometimes does. He says, don't worry about your everyday life. Don't worry about your everyday life. He, he says in particular, don't worry about food and drink and clothing. In the first century, worry about food and drink wasn't so much uh, a worry about whether to eat at home or to get a takeaway. It was a worry about whether you would have food or drink at all. And when we hear this command not to worry about everyday life, we have plenty to think about also. 
And we've just lived through a year which is probably the most anxiety-making year that uh, any of us have lived through. And we have worries about money, we have worries about relationships and our purpose in life, we have worries about our health and work and our future. So it's a tough command not to worry about our everyday life. It's a difficult thing. And then Jesus pulls in some illustrations, and I reckon they're obviously outside because he says, look at the birds and look at the flowers. It's almost a, a command to become a bird watcher, if you like. He says, look at the birds. They don't stockpile. They don't uh, have freezers and fridges. But your heavenly Father cares for them. And look at the flowers. Look at the lilies. They don't go out to work, but your heavenly Father clothes them with just such extraordinary effortless beauty. And you can see that springtime is really breathtaking, isn't it, as you go around. You see the way that God has clothed uh, the trees and the flowers and uh, the countryside. And so he, he gives those illustrations, and then he asks some very serious questions. He says, are you not much more valuable than birds and flowers? Just think about that for a second, and just settle that in your mind. It's good to start with that. Are you much more valuable than birds and flowers? He's expecting you to say yes. And he says, if your heavenly Father wonderfully cares for them, will he not certainly care for you? The subtext of that is, are you really so special that he, he will leave you out of his care? The answer is no. If your heavenly Father wonderfully cares for them, will he not much more care for you? So he's asked the questions. And so uh, he is definitely speaking deeply into our lives. Do we consider ourselves more important than birds and flowers? If so, just think how much more your heavenly Father will care for you. And then he says the impossible command again, verse 31. Don't worry about these things, food and drink and clothing and so on. And then he makes a contrast. He says, look, food and drink and clothing, these things dominate the thoughts of uh, the Gentiles or the pagans. Now, that, those words are referring to people who do not have a relationship with God. That's basically what he's saying. So those people who do not know God, do not know their Heavenly Father and the care that he has for them. He says, look, these are the things that preoccupy their thoughts. What should we eat? What should we drink? What should we wear? But he, but he says, look, by contrast, you are in a relationship with your Heavenly Father. And your Heavenly Father knows what you need. He knows what you need. So just let that knowledge sink in for a moment. God in heaven, God himself, knows you. And he knows what you need in life. So then he goes on to say, what attitude should we take? How do we decide to do this? And he says, look, for you who know God's care, who know that God knows you and loves you and cares for you, you seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. I'll come back to that in a minute. And then he says a promise at the end. He says, and the, 
God then will take care of the rest. So if you do this, if you seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, then he will take care of all the things that you could worry about if you didn't know your heavenly father. And then he says, for the last time, the impossible command for a third time, do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about your everyday life. And I think Jesus is repeating that because he usually repeats things because we need to hear them. And we find it difficult to receive. So he says it for the third time. It's a really masterful bit of teaching, I think. And he covers a lot of things and he goes very deep into who we are. Now let me just say for a moment what Jesus is not saying. He's not saying don't plan for the future, don't be work shy, don't be unambitious, don't take responsibility for yourself, don't um, uh, be saying that, we, that we, uh, saying that we won't have anything that we could worry about. And also he's not denying that sometimes anxiety is a medical condition that needs medical help. But he is saying there is a way to live unworriedly in the constant care of your Heavenly Father. And so Jesus' strategy for surviving and thriving without constant anxiety is this. He says, look, decide on one thing to pursue in life. And pursue that one thing over and above everything else. Let that one thing organize and arrange everything else in your life. So the bit we just missed before Ian read to us, he's talking about money in particular. Money often gives us worries. He says, look, if you try two things in life, to focus on two things, God and money, it just won't work because you'll end up loving one and hating the other. He says, I'm telling you that, I'm telling you that for free. You know, choose one thing. And then Jesus says that one thing to choose is the kingdom of God above everything else. So the kingdom of God, it sounds pretty conceptual, but it literally just means what God wants. So, so Jesus taught us to pray, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth just as it's done in heaven. And they are the same thing. The kingdom of heaven is where what God wants done is done. And where you do what God wants, the kingdom of heaven is right there. So where what God wants done in your life or in your environment or in your neighborhood or in your workplace or in your city or anywhere, on earth as in heaven, the kingdom of God is there. Seek it first, he says. Seek it first. Seek what God wants. Make that your organizing principle. Let everything else come behind that because your heavenly Father knows you and he knows what you need. That's the springboard. Your heavenly Father knows you. He knows what you need. Therefore, you are free to choose this as your one organizing principle in life. Now, I think the thing is, if you decide to choose things like money or possessions or food or ambition or happiness or any, anything else first... I want to suggest to you that those things do not know you and do not know what you need. In fact, they operate for themselves. So something like money doesn't care for you. It cares for itself. Don't, so Jesus is saying, don't put yourself in their hands. 
It's a really bad idea to put yourself in their hands. If you do, he says, your fate will be anxiety. Because if you make these things first, the, the, it's inevitable that they can't deliver on freeing you from anxiety. They just cannot. In fact, they increase it. So um, he's saying, put, your, put yourself in the hands of your heavenly Father who knows you and who cares for you and seek first what he wants. If you choose the kingdom first, your heavenly Father cares for you and knows what you need and your outcome will be peace and fearlessness. So it's interesting, Joe and I were having a conversation on the phone with someone this week who was facing a very long and very difficult operation. And I was just, you know, uh, we, we prayed with her, but I was just so extraordinarily thrilled to hear her express confidence in God's presence and confidence uh, in God's kingdom, what God wants, being with her. And, uh, and it was really clear. And honestly, in the moments of greatest danger to our lives, that's the moment where God really proves himself faithful. And we suddenly realize, yeah, in all the little things, we have trusted God. And so now in a big thing, I know that he's here. And it was an absolutely gorgeous thing to hear. We were, we were, I, I was frankly, um, you know, really stunned to hear that faithful uh, openness and pursuit of the kingdom of God. So, I would really love you to hear this today. Your heavenly Father knows you. Your heavenly Father knows you. He knows what you need. He is good, as we've been singing. He is beautiful, as we've been singing. He knows you. The primary temptation at the beginning of the Bible in the Garden of Eden is not whether God exists or not, but whether God is good, whether God can be trusted. So the snake says to the, says to the humans, did God really say this? Did he really say that? Can God really be trusted? Is he actually good? And that temptation continues all the way, and Jesus wants to help us really get solid on this and settle it in our minds, whether money or anything else, uh, knows us and knows what we need, or really whether our Heavenly Father knows us and knows what we need. So seek first his kingdom and his righteousness before anything else, and let God take care of the rest. Let's put first things first. So, this kind of message always just starts with us. It starts with us... uh, Offering ourselves again to be people who trust in God. That's essentially what it is. That we trust that God is good and what he wants is good. And we can get ourselves stuck on, uh, you know, unbuilt bridges and cul-de-sacs where we're not sure really whether God is good. And I believe what God is wanting particularly to do is just to reset ourselves on that as an absolute truth. As we sang, he, you know, he's never going to let us down. Start with that. Start with ourselves and then work outwards. Seeking God's kingdom in our family and our friendships and workplaces and, um, and then further afield, uh, you know, uh, around the country and around the world where we are 
looking to see God's kingdom come, people come to know Jesus for his justice to be served in all different kinds of places. But we start with ourselves. So why don't we stand together for a few moments, shall we?